Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Ref and Tracy Hightower Henny. So today we're going to talk about the five W's of discovery. Who, what, when, where, why, why, we're going to skip the how. Why starts with the W. Weird. See what I did there? Oh, yeah. I was like, wait, no, it doesn't. Oh, yes, it does. Weird. Why? That's like the I before E except after C, Mm. but not in weird. Isn't that weird? I don't know how to spell the word weird. Well, it's E before I. And it's weird. And there's RD. I think we're pretty good at spelling. No, not oh, this one. I am I terrible am. at spelling. I missed all of the grammar teachers that like focused really strongly on grammar. You, what do you mean you missed them? I got, I always got the teacher who was the creative writing hippie teacher. Oh. I think my mom worked that for me. She was a teacher at my school. What was your excuse for math? I did good in math. Oh. <laughs> I did really, yeah, I did good in math. But just after what, like fourth grade, it yeah. got too hard? No. I'm terrible at arithmetic. I'm oh, when good, you have the letters, right. I'm good at the <laughs> it, logic stuff. But yeah, I never had the teacher who taught us what a preposition was or sentence structure or spelling. So this is really interesting because as I'm on my Spanish learning journey, it's very important that you understand in English some of the things that they're teaching you in Spanish. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, takes you back to the grammar days. Like, today we're going to learn Spanish prepositions. And you're like, uh, I don't know what that even is in English. Yeah, yeah. Or um, what's what's it called when you have the ING words? Oh, so I, I, yeah, I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> ing words? <laughs> the ing words. Um, Action verb? I don't know. I just had a, like, taking back to the days of example. I just went to an occupational therapist for my hands with my scleroderma. The goal is to avoid hardening of my fingers. And she pulled out some putty. Fun. And she said, this is like silly putty, but for adults. And so the whole time she's showing me these exercises and I was like, do I get to take this home? And she was like, yes. Fun. So I now have some adult silly putty in my purse. That's cool. That I'm going to keep at the office. So you might see me. And it's a good like fidgety thing too. Yes. This, it's a big thing with kids right now. They call it thinking putty. And oh. it's in, that's the brand I think. And it's in all these different tubs and there's like glow in the dark, glitter, magnetic the kind you can like form into a shape and it stays is it really just silly putty no it's more goopy oh a little more goopy oh this is not goopy by the time you put it in the tin it like flattens out okay but she did say not not to leave it in my car in the heat it would be goop (laughs) and then it'd be thrown away and she said she said not to fly with it because in the x-ray machines it looks like a bomb Silly putty looks like a bomb? This putty. Oh. Is the it in adult a case? Putty. Yeah, it's in like a little Tupperware thing. Oh. Which, speaking of flying, I am flying tomorrow on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, almost right at the time 
when the first plane hit. I have flown on 9-11 too yeah. when I came back from my honeymoon. And were you scared? No. Yeah, I'm not scared. I feel like if anything were to ever happen on a plane again, just the people on the plane would not let it happen, which is what happened on the one plane that went down in the field, right? Right. I Yeah, people are more aware maybe. And I think too with COVID, just everything, everyone's more aware of what other people are doing. I don't know. Yeah, and they're locking the cockpit and all of that. So I'm not afraid of flying. But I do think it will be really interesting, like on the 20th anniversary, being in the airport. I think there will probably be moments of silence or, you know, things like that. Yeah. We, I flew like right, there was that flight that came into Atlanta that, this was a long time ago. This was in the 90s. That was had, I live? I don't know. Yes, I was. <laughs> But I was that was like I was flying home internationally and it was we were flying into the same gate as that flight had like a bomb on it or something. Oh. Yeah. Or there was a terrorist or something. I can't remember. So See, it was before September 11th. Obviously. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. interesting. So everyone clapped when we landed safely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was the thing is they were always afraid of bombs and they never thought there would be a person doing hijacking. Right. Your doing anything. Sounds. I know my computer's making sounds. It's telling me what I need to be doing. It's telling me you need to be recording a podcast right now. Oh, we started early. Yes. Oh, we did? Yes. It, your notification. So your notification said in one minute, in one minute, you need to be starting. Yeah. Well, yeah. look, computer, we started early today. Start early, end early. Yes. Hopefully. All right. So Discovery, we decided to talk about this topic because we've had a lot of talks in our office about Discovery and divorce cases and like the importance of it and what happens when a client doesn't want to do it for a host of different reasons. So we thought, let's talk about it. Let's do a podcast. Yay. Podcasts (laughs) for education. So when we talk about Discovery and the five W's, let's just start with who. Who does Discovery? Who, I mean, clearly lawyers, right? Yeah. (laughs) But like on what types of cases, on like which clients' cases? Yeah. So I think when we talk about the who of Discovery, it's all the people involved that, you know, come range from the client, the lawyer, and potentially the other people being discovered, right? So like we might have experts that have to provide us documents. Sometimes therapists are involved. Sometimes um, CPAs are involved. And so we're looking at who has the information and how are we going to get it? And so typically it's the client. And we often will think about, does the our client have the knowledge that is necessary, you know, to get the information. And if they don't, then we need to ask the opposing party for the information. So for example, there may be individual bank accounts and maybe the bank accounts that aren't in our client's name, we need to ask for statements and discovery. But if they're in our client's name, we don't need to ask for them in discovery. We would just tell our clients to get them to us, right? Right. And they always get them to us, right? That's when like the record player does that screeching coming to a halt. Wah, wah. Yeah, that one too. That too. Or they're... Also, it's interesting how, you know, oftentimes we'll ask clients for information and 
they have no idea how we want them because we don't tell them. We just say, get us these statements and documents. And people are very different on how they give us the information, whether it's digitally. Sometimes they'll put them in a binder thinking they're being super helpful in organization. <laughs> the binders. Yes. The, the pe- we don't need them in a binder. We love you binder people. We really do. But we're just going to take your binder apart and probably reorganize it in the way we want it. So maybe you, that binder person should stick to just making binders for themselves. And honestly, too, we don't even really want anything stapled because we're ultimately oh, going to staples. scan it in. So we have to take the staples apart. We usually often don't want things um, ruined by a three-hole punch, too. Like, we just need yes. the documents. The worst is when you get a document with a three-hole punch right through what you need. <laughs> the like number, the, the date. date. The date on the statement. The date yeah. is on the left. That's the worst. But, you know, the worst, I think... I've seen was not that long ago someone brought in a box of all of their documents for us to review and like the first of all nothing was organized it was just chucked in the box right it wasn't like in folders or neatly stacked or anything and then it smelled like what um I mostly smoke but it was also kind of musty smelling and certain documents in the box also appeared maybe to have mold on them or (laughs) dirt so so this box wasn't prepared for you it was the box that was in the basement and they were like well I hope everything that she needs is in here every time I get a statement or a receipt I'm just going to put it in this box and someday I might need it yeah and the other the other example I've gotten is you know going through a divorce can be very traumatic And then also putting on top of that that you're asking your client to like get statements. They will bring in things and they feel good that they've brought it in. And that's the gist of that's how far they can get. I've had clients come in with documents crumpled up in a plastic grocery sack. Yeah. And they've like tied a knot at the top. (laughs) And so now it's like all curled up, you know, um, and they just like they literally in person plop it on the table in front of you. And they're like, here it is. And you, you know, we part of our job is we can organize those documents, but we have to charge for that. Yeah. And I think sometimes people are just really not mentally able to do that organization themselves. So we have to do it. So I think the ideal delivery method is electronic. I think so. Downloaded statements or scan. I mean, downloaded is the best, but if they're scanned actual paper documents, that's okay too. Right. Or if we could literally just get the passwords of our client's bank account and we'll just do it ourselves. So I heard that there's an attorney who that's what he requires. He says, you will come in and you will give my paralegal your passwords and you will sit down and she will log in to all of your accounts and she will access everything with you sitting right there. So it's not like sneaky. And then he says at the end, you have to change your password now. Great. Yeah. So he doesn't also transfer money for payment of his attorney's fees <laughs> while he's sitting there. Um, and by the way, you have an outstanding bill. Yeah. And while we're here, let's just put a, my extra retainer on this credit card. On an automatic <laughs> monthly payment. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think about divorce in the current time because 
everyone should have access to all of their statements online, right? Like you can get your utility bill online. You can get your credit card, your bank statement, your mortgage statement, your life insurance, whatever. But there are still people, especially in a relationship, in a marriage, where only one person really accesses those accounts. And the other person wouldn't even know how to log in if they were asked to. That's what happens in my marriage. I was exactly thinking of my own marriage in that situation. <laughs> and my, I mean, you described it as like, it doesn't happen very often. Well, I, I think it happens in every marriage, probably. One person does everything. Yeah. And my husband is um, doesn't love passwords, and this is not a strong suit of his <laughs> to remember his passwords. And so he's constantly, every time he has to log into something, He's has he to has to reset it. it. And then he has to go to his email and then he's like, oh, my email's down or I can't. What's my email password? And oh, I'm like, my God. Why is this so hard? How do you save your passwords um, in your head? I tend to use a similar password and then I like, you know, continuously add special characters to the end because <laughs> because you don't have enough sometimes. Well, and then there's those stupid places that are like, you can't use a password you've used before. Yes. Like, really, this is my trash account. Like, who's going to hack my trash account? For like Abe's? Yes. And then I have to have like the double authentication to access and pay the trash person. I've never created an account for my trash. Go for it. All right. So (laughs) back uh, on topic. So back to the who on Discovery, though. Um. Oftentimes we are having to request documents from people who are not the clients in the case. Um, so I think that kind of gets into our what and what is discovery. Yeah. Um, maybe we should have started with that. What is discovery? It's not the channel. What? What? It, it, in discovery, it's such a weird word. I mean, discovery is just formal requests for things. Mostly documents, but sometimes answers to questions. Right. It's a it's a a host of things that like a toolkit that we have that we can say, oh, do we want to use the wrench today or do we want to use the hammer? And what? the hammer? What? In discovery? Well, what's the wrench in discovery? I don't know. These are I mean, because like or, hammer has like a like it's like I'm in it. I'm in it. Yes. Oh, the wrench or, isn't violent. The wrench if you is, stick a finger in the wrench, it could be pretty violent. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> or you can pull out the hose from your discovery toolkit and just hose everyone. And spray them with requests. Yes. <laughs> so so typically when we think about discovery in a divorce case, the standard is what's called interrogatories, which is a fancy word for questions. Is it Latin? Well, I think it probably comes from interrogation. Oh, yes. Yeah. Good. Yes. Um, duh. <laughs> and then um, request for production of documents. So sometimes you'll hear lawyers say RPDs. So that's pretty standard. Those yeah. two things will often go out um, kind of on a default basis in a divorce case, unless you're having conversations with your client about some of the reasons they don't want to do discovery, which we'll get to. But other things that can be in discovery are subpoenas and depositions and appraisals, maybe on a house or business valuation, which is really just an appraisal of a business. And so when we look at those things, those are things that someone other than the client has information on, like an expert. Yeah. 
And a lot of times it's easier just to go straight to that person to get it. Right. Than, you know, going through the opposing party. Yeah. And so if we're sending out interrogatories and requests for production of documents on most cases, and we don't always do subpoenas and depositions and business valuations and appraisals, when are the times that we decide to do those things? I love subpoenas, by the way. So are we talking about subpoenas or not? Yeah. <laughs> okay. When like, do when do you decide to talk or send out subpoenas? So, um, like, in a case where I want information and I, I don't think the other person even has it. So, you know, it's not their bank account, maybe, but maybe, um, like, their employment records, I will go usually straight to the employer. I don't usually pull those through the person. Um, I do subpoenas for um, police reports and child protective services reports. Those are also not in the possession of the person. So they potentially, if I did ask them for them, they could say, well, I don't have these. Well, you know, but are you able to get them, I think is the standard, right? Easily able to get them. The Child Protective Services records, you know, there's a protocol that we have to go through to make sure things are protected and they will, you know, the Department of Health and Human Services will redact some information before they'll issue any documents, even pursuant to a subpoena. But we still get the majority of the information that we need. So I subpoena those pretty regularly, those three things, I think, employment records, police reports and um, CPS records. We just had a subpoena go out from one of the other lawyers in our office for the body cam video during a child custody exchange. Yeah, and that that falls under like what police have in their right in their um, records of a report. And when we look at those things, um, talking about the why is like we often may tell our clients the judge is not going to watch that video. <laughs> and but sometimes we don't know that until we actually get the video and we watch it ourselves and maybe we can you know tell the judge skip to two minutes and 30 seconds and start there right but you know getting information from someone other than a party called a non-party we usually send out that subpoena I personally love to subpoena bank records I think it kind of scares the other party a little bit because they now have lost control over what they get to provide. Sure. But then also, speaking of organization, the bank sends it to us in the way that we actually do prefer it, digitally and in its raw form. And then we also usually get the canceled checks as well. I actually received subpoena documents from a bank and they had redacted some pretty significant information. And I was like, what, what? Did you ask them? No, because it ended up not mattering. I mean, I, I was still able to see like the beginning and ending balances. And that was really what I wanted. I can't even remember what they redacted. But I was both the other attorney and I were like, why did they do that? Hmm. It was interesting. So, yeah. And then oftentimes subpoenas come back quicker, though, yes. than sending out the request for production of documents. Yeah. I mean, it's officially a 20-day period instead of 30 days, the other side gets to respond. So sometimes we'll do that quicker um, and just get it directly from the source. So that's basically the purpose of a subpoena. Right. And doing written discovery from the client, 
and doing interrogatories, we get to ask a lot of open-ended general questions that we then may turn into a supplemental request for discovery. Yeah, interrogatories are interesting. I mean, you can you can really ask anything. I mean, obviously someone could object that it's not relevant, but I think if it even touches on a small issue of the case, you could probably overcome a relevance objection on yeah. an interrogatory. And the standard for Nebraska rules of civil discovery are that it has to it has it's likely to lead to discoverable information. So we kind of get to ask whatever we want, so long as it's likely to lead to something else that's discoverable. Right. And oftentimes judges don't really go for the relevance objection. Yeah, not not in discovery. Um, one of the things, so I had a client who was reviewing the interrogatories that I was going to send out, and she asked if I would add a couple questions that she wanted added and I reviewed them and they all were only required a yes or no answer and I know what she was trying to get from the other person but I so I said to her I said I get what you're where you're going with these but let's reword them so it's open-ended instead of yeah I mean yes or no because she was kind of asking them in an accusatory manner too like you know you 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 did this thing to hurt the kids, right? Basically. <laughs> well, that could be turned into a request for admissions. Yeah. That's which is true. another thing that we don't use very often. And those can be very strategically used um, pretty well. And they're typically looking for a, a one word answer admit or deny. Yeah. No other fluff. We don't need any other information. But they have to be pretty well written so that they are admittable or deniable. Right. And the other really cool thing about those is they're deemed admitted if they aren't answered within 30 days. I I really very carefully review the client's answers to their interrogatories to make sure they actually answered the question asked and that they didn't over-provide. Right. Now, I also tell the clients, like, this isn't poker. Like, we're not real, like, clients are like, well, I don't want to show my hand. and. I said, well, by the time we go to trial, everyone knows everyone's hand, except the judge. Yeah. So we're just, you know, showing what we have to the judge and they're showing what they have. It's like it's like at the end of Texas Hold'em where you end up showing the hand and then the dealer decides who wins. Right. The dealer, the judge is the dealer. Show your hands and yeah, who who won the pot. And and also, you know, the caveat to discovery is if. You know, you are asked, um, please list how many cars you have and all the make and models and all the information. And you say, I have a red Honda. And then at trial, you're like, well, I have a red Honda and a blue Toyota. And the judge, and then the other side is going to throw your answer in your face and say, you lied. Or, or are you lying now or were you lying then? You know, and it's like so stupid. Yeah. So I tell people, don't. You, you want to give as much information as you would give at trial because otherwise, you're, they're going to paint you as deceitful or a liar. And your responses to interrogatories and requests for production of documents are signed under oath. Yeah. So when we talk about depositions, I typically like to get as much information as I can written discovery and then use those as an outline for deposition questions and then actually have the 
other party sit in front of me and I get to answer or I get to ask them whatever I want in a deposition and they have to answer. And it's also under oath. Yeah. Depositions are good also because you can kind of see how someone behaves and are they going to come across a certain way? Are they going to seem really aggressive? Are they going to seem really calm? You know, what's their demeanor? I think doing depositions has probably phased me a little bit when I speak in everyday conversations. You know, I'll ask a question like, hey, Susan, do you want lunch today? And you say, well, I brought lunch. And I'm like, well, wait, the question was, do you want lunch? <laughs> right? Like, I think that's lawyers in general. Just answer the question. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, no, my answer was, I already brought lunch, so that means no. And in a deposition, we get to kind of be a jerk and say, that was a yes or no question. Can you please answer the question? And then the person's like, oh, my God. Have you ever testified at a trial? Yes. Okay. At the snowmobile trial? Oh, yeah. The snow- oh, God. Oh, God, that could be a podcast. <laughs> so, I mean, you know how hard it is when you want to explain your yes. yes or your no, or you're like, listen, I can't answer yes or no. It's kind of gray. Yes. It, that is so hard. This is interesting that both Tracy and I have been involved in trials when we... Yours was the car accident one. Yes, I'm the assuming. car accident one. I've also testified like as guardian ad litem right. in custody cases, but um, yeah, my car accident case. <laughs> yeah, and it, so in a deposition, you know, a good lawyer is going to prepare their client to when they are getting questioned to just answer the question. So if the question is, do you want lunch today? You just say yes or no. You don't need to say, well, I brought some lunch. Um, I don't, maybe I'll eat that. Maybe I won't, which is technically or typically what happens. Yeah is uh, do you think your spouse is a good parent? Well, I, you know, my spouse comes home from work every day, not until 7.30, and you're like, just answer the question. And so when our client goes off on these tangents, all they're doing is helping the other attorney with information. And so when I'm the one asking a question, I like to just let them ramble. Oh, yeah. Just do it. And then, you know, we may take a break and I'll tell my client, remember I told you just answer the question and you need to kind of stop doing that. And then they're like, well, but I need to explain myself. And often in a deposition, I explain the judge is not here. You don't need to explain yourself for anyone. You are just giving them ammo sometimes. Right. Uh, One thing that I find clients um, ask me or assume, and so I've started to tell them is, at the discovery phase in the case, whether it's the interrogatories, the request for production documents, depositions, that information only stays with the attorneys. It doesn't, I think they think once it's all done, it goes to the judge. And the judge reads all deposition transcripts like before they go to bed. Yeah, and I was like, if the judge had to review all of the discovery in every case, that my, they would only be able to have like six cases at a time. No one would want to be a judge. Right. So I, I try to explain them, explain to them once discovery is answered, it, it stays with the lawyers unless at a deposition or at a trial or at a hearing, the person says something contrary to the information we've received in discovery. And then we can use it to point out they're a liar. And then you get to use that Hollywood line. Were you lying then or are you lying now? I know. You can't handle the truth. Yes. Have you ever said that in court? Um, no, <laughs> not word for word. 
No, but I have, you, have you? Have, no, oh. but I think I have said that something like, well, what's the truth then? Now, are you lying now or were you lying then? I'm trying to think of a situation where a lawyer would say you can't handle the truth because it's more like the client needs to say that. Oh, right. Yeah. In that movie, it was the, the guy on the stand who yeah. said that. Was it, was it um, Tom Cruise? He was, he's, it was said to, Jack Nicholson said it to him or to and the, which one was the, the, Kevin was Bacon the lawyer. Character. Tom Cruise was the lawyer. Okay, yeah. And Kevin Bacon was the lawyer. Yeah. And one of them was questioning Jack Nicholson, who was like the old guy who was like, we can torture these people all we want. And do we know the name of the movie? I can't think of it. I, I was going to say 12 Angry Men, but I know it's not but 12 It's not that, <laughs> but I also love that um, as a play. That one's really good, which I think it originally was a play. But... Yeah. Um, our listeners are probably screaming at their headphones right now, but we don't know. We should name. do a podcast on all legal movies. Yeah, I think we're going to do. Well, a we've series. talked about what's that one that you liked? The Lincoln Lawyer. Oh yeah, The Lincoln Lawyer, which I still haven't seen. It's on my list to watch. So The Lincoln Lawyer, Twelve Angry Men, this other one, the, the You Can't Handle the Truth movie, whatever that is. Yes, A Few Good Men. Oh, we're we're being showed Google. Our yes, yay Google. Oh gosh, yeah. Men. Okay. No, a few angry men is not it. You just a said a few men. angry men. <laughs> okay. All a right. A few good men. So, so there would be a mashup: twelve angry men and, and a, few a few good men, and right? a few angry men. Yeah. And then it would be a few angry men. There's twelve is more than a few. A good, a dozen. The twelve good men. <laughs> Okay, so coming soon to a theater near you. So discovery, and we ha- still have the when and the why and the where. We don't really know what to say about where, but all right. So the when in discovery is my note is just long before trial. Right, we're not waiting until right before trial. We're often sending out discovery questions um, and written discovery pretty close to after we file. So that 30 days starts for the other side to start gathering the documents and answer them. Then if we need to supplement those requests and send out more requests, or if based on those answers we're sending out subpoenas, or based on those answers we're sending out business valuation requests and all of that. So really the when is long before trial. And the other win is knowing when not to do discovery. Yes. And I think that's the big thing that's happening right now. So our firm, I would say probably 90% of cases, family law cases, 95% we're doing discovery. Yes. Uh, maybe it's limited. Maybe it's, you know, a, not a ton of subpoenas and no depositions, but there's those cases where people are like, they like walk in the door on day one and they're like, here's my hand. Here's my bank accounts. Here's my retirement accounts. We just had our house appraised. Yes. You know, and my husband has access to all of this. In fact, I made a copy for him. We both have copies of everything. He's currently at his lawyer with these same pieces of paper. And we're like, sweet. And those people just saved $20,000. Yes. And their time. Yes. And headache. The time it takes to pull, I, I I can't even imagine. If you have a full-time job and you have maybe some kids that you're running around and then you got to pull two to three years worth of statements from every account you've ever had your name on. It's kind of like the process that you have to do for the underwriters when you're either buying a house or refinancing a house. But on Times steroids, yeah, yeah, because you 
usually we're asking for 36 months of statements. I think they typically ask for like 12 months. So sometimes you have to go to the bank to get that information Mm -hmm. that far back. Yeah, and pay stubs, W-2s, tax returns. I mean, some people don't keep those. Some people aren't paper people or they don't scan them or they don't keep an electronic copy or whatever it is. So then they've got to call the CPA and say, give me my five years of tax returns or three years or two years or whatever it is. And, you know, and there can be costs associated with it. Like they might have to pay fees to that person. Right. And the other thing of when not to do discovery, we often do what we call one attorney model cases where we represent one of the clients. They have pretty much everything um, agreed upon by the time they're coming or they or they are fully able to communicate together. And we're really just helping them identify their debts and assets, draft the correct documents and make sure they get filed correctly. And sometimes we might have to give some suggestions of, well, this is how you would do this thing. And then they're able to figure it out. So that's in the one attorney model. Those are the cases that we may not do discovery because oftentimes those two folks know what their bounty is. They know their debts and assets. They've disclosed them to each other. Sometimes they've already had put together some sort of spreadsheet and they're able to say, he's getting this and I'm getting this. And we may make a suggestion of, for example, let's separate retirement from non-retirement and then do a calculation differently. But I think our job is to still make sure that that is within the bounds of the law in Nebraska, which is that there's an equitable distribution of the marital estate, which in case law just means that every spouse should get somewhere between one third and two thirds of the marital assets um, offset by debts. And that typically means about 50-50. So I just had a case close where we did not do discovery and it was one of those ones where opposing counsel said here's everything here's the most recent statement on everything it was a shorter term marriage no children um one person was a higher earner the other person was still kind of like building up their career i think they were still going to school even part-time and we finalized everything came to a very fair agreement um and then, you know, a month later, we find out that there was, there's an account that was a joint account that didn't get put into the mix of how we split everything. And my client found out about the account because the other person made a withdrawal and she got a notification, an email notification. <laughs> so neither party disclosed this account to their lawyer. So I I said to my client, I said, well, what's the balance on this account? And if you have access, you know, why don't you just go and withdraw 50% of the money in there or like see what the balance was before he withdrew? I don't even know how much he withdrew. And she said, I don't I don't know how to access this account. And I, you know, so there was a little bit of her not knowing on that end. So I just took that information to the other lawyer and I said, Uh, I didn't know about this and the other lawyer was like yes you did I told you about it and so I sent her her email where she sent me all the documents I said it's not in here you know and she's like oh okay (laughs) so she got me the most current statement and it was it was fourteen hundred dollars was the balance and his withdrawal actually was a transfer to a different account of like the minimum fee you know you have to transfer to keep the other account open Uh it was so stupid so 
I said to my client, I said, well, what do you want to do? I mean, he gave you half of everything else. He's probably going to give you half if you ask for it, you know? And she said, I'm just done. I'm totally done. I'm, I'm so mad at him for Be, forgetting yeah. about that account. Yes. No. <laughs> so she, she didn't want to ask for her half. She just walked away. So, so kind of, you know, going into the why a little bit. So a recent case that I had that closed, I don't know, a couple years ago, it was a medium length marriage. Maybe they'd been married for about 15 years and they were very, very friendly. But they did both have lawyers and we did discovery. I'm sorry, we didn't do discovery right away. She thought that she was very comfortable in knowing what they had and she wanted me to just do a settlement offer based on what she knew in the beginning, I thought that was pretty fair. She did seem like she knew everything they had. And they came back, um, instead of just agreeing to our settlement offer, they came back with kind of a crappy response. And it really started got me thinking, like, the way they responded was like, there's something more. Yeah. And I ended up talking her into doing discovery. She didn't want to do it. She didn't want to create animosity she really thought it would make him mad and I said well I think it will make him mad because I think he's hiding something yeah and I think he's hiding something big so we end up doing discovery and he did get mad and they they had adult children together and they had stopped talking because we sent discovery over oh my gosh and we it's found a fairly normal part of any lawsuit. Yes, and I had explained to her that yeah. you know because he has a lawyer, which was actually good in the scenario. His lawyer is going to explain to him this is typical, yes. this is standard, and he was hiding a bank account that had over two hundred thousand dollars in it, oh. and a retirement account that had over seven hundred thousand dollars in it, and some of it was premarital. And I said to this client, I said, you know, in so many words, see, I told you so. Like we had yes. to do this, and now she was walking away with her half of the marital portion of the retirement account and she was very very thankful but it did take me you know some urging her to do this discovery yeah and that's why because we don't know what we don't know she didn't know what she didn't know she really truly thought she knew yeah everything that they had and she didn't nine hundred thousand dollars yes that's a lot of money yeah and this guy had, you know, just been saving it from his paycheck. She'd never seen paychecks. Yeah, you don't really see your spouse's pay stub very often. Right. So. And if we did, if we don't if we if we aren't doing child support calculations, pay stubs aren't really necessary to look at, but he had been, you know, putting half of his paycheck into some accounts and contributing right. a ton to retirement. So that was a really good example of why we err on the side of caution and do discovery so that we can get the information um, that we need. And and really it's so that the lawyers can help you identify all the debts and assets and make sure they're separated equally or correctly. Right. So now we're, I mean, I think everything we've talked about kind of hits the why. Right. Why do we do discovery? Yeah, and I think the other thing too, you know, in that situation, if you think about why are you getting divorced, there's obviously some lack of trust in your relationship, typically. not That's not all of this, the reasons why people get divorced, but typically there's some lack of trust. And if we are looking at potentially hidden accounts and secret activity mm-hmm. that's happening through withdrawals and things, that is why we do discovery. To discover what's out there. Yeah. So this this is the Discovery Channel podcast. 
episode. Oh, now we're going to get sued. Oh, gosh. Uh, I take it back. <laughs> we're not the Discovery Channel. Disclaimer. We're, we're the Discover Channel. Yeah. The discovery in your divorce case. Yeah. So I think all in all, discovery is very important for what we do. Um, And it's it's provides that tool for us to help give our clients the best information and advice so that they can leave walking away knowing they're not going to look back five years from now and wish they had gotten more information. Yep. Because nothing nothing makes lawyers happier than saying, I told you so. Right. Or at least being able to think that in your mind. And there are some clients that I would never say that to because I think they would fly off the handle. Yeah. I don't think we actually say it out loud. I did to this one because she was very great and thankful. Well, yeah. In that situation where you're like, see, look at what we found. We were. It was a very happy moment. Yeah. And I think for her husband, it was like, ah, they're doing discovery. I didn't want them to do that. So just to kind of ask a question at to wind up i i often have clients who are like well susan that person's hiding money and i'm like okay well we'll find it in the discovery and they're like well but if they don't turn it over and we can't figure it out so like i don't know how to put that person at ease i can only say well we can only discover what we can discover like you know if the person didn't turn over that bank account info and that retirement account info you there's a possibility you wouldn't have known about it. I I always take, I tell those clients, I take that as a challenge. Yeah. While we don't love discovery, I think it's really fascinating looking at people's bank accounts and kind of seeing like, what is this activity? I just have a recent case where um, someone is spending $1,300 a shot at strip clubs. And I it's find out- It's always the strippers. And on the credit card, too. It's always. No, it, yeah, it's either the debit card, the credit card, or the ATM machines. And it's like. Yes. The, so, they, so I. People are stupid. Yeah. Like they're trying so, to hide their, you know. I often tell outings. clients, I tell the clients who are having those concerns, like, well, you're not going to find it. Unless someone is dealing in cash and cash only, you're going to find it. Right. If they're getting yeah. a paycheck, you look at the pay stubs. Where's the money going? You can trace it as a deposit in their right. accounts. And that's why I like to send out subpoenas to banks because you can send a subpoena to all the banks in the local area and it doesn't cost anything because they'll tell you, we don't have any accounts here. And you literally are just saying, send me any and all account statements for this person's social security number because they're all yeah. attached to someone's social security number. So I usually start with the question, where do you think he or she banks? Yeah. And then we send a subpoena out to them. I remember a case, I think it was your case, where... Not my personal case. Right. A case of <laughs> yours where there was a lot of concern about a person abusing prescription drugs. And I oh, think yes. you literally sent subpoenas to just random pharmacies. I think we did like Walgreens, CVS, Hy-Vee. And don't you have to send it to each individual location? I think we did. And we knew that this person, um, was this a person that was wearing foil on her head too? Yes. Yeah. Um, it so, was a long time ago. Yeah, it was in our old office. <laughs> I think that was like one of the first bigger divorces. No, one of the first like crazy side divorce cases where there was a lot of um, things happening. Yeah. And yeah, we sent the subpoena to those all those different places. And she this woman was abusing prescription medication such that she went to different locations. Yeah. And they at that point they weren't tracking very well or at all that she had picked up 
Oxycontin here and the state patrol is supposed to do that. I mean, and that's been in in effect for a long time, but I don't think they do a very good job of it because it comes up all the time in cases. As a result, we did get good information that she was picking up prescriptions at a lot of different pharmacies. Along with lots of foil. And foil, yeah. She probably, if you get the receipts, it was probably foil and prescription at Walgreens. So lesson learned, uh... Listen to your lawyer's advice yes. about discovery. If if a lawyer's telling you you should do it, you should do it. And if a lawyer's telling you, you know, this will show you that all of the information, it's true. And I think the, the one big pushback we get from clients is that their Google world tells you discovery is expensive. But sometimes it literally pays for itself when sure. you are getting the information of 900 missing thousand dollars. Yeah. The couple thousand dollars you may pay to get it is is worth it. But also, um, you know, discoveries, the cost of discovery just has to be done sometimes so that you can actually have a well-written decree that identifies all the debts and assets. You got to pay to play. That's right. Another poker term. Oh, that's a poker term? Yeah. Not just sports in general? Or well, it's even. used in poker because you have to pay to stay in the hand, yeah. at least Texas Hold'em. Probably any poker, right? Sure. I don't know. I only know Texas Hold'em, I think. So, all in all, discovery is important. There are some exceptions where we don't do it, but for the majority of the time we're doing it and you're just going to be happy with it. <laughs> just live with it. Yep. And don't drop off smoky documents. <laughs> yeah. And maybe try to do something other than the plastic grocery bag. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. And be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Rep Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.